Within the past few hundred years, the Caribbean region has become home to a plethora of cultures. These cultures brought with them their special blend of foods and ingredients. Perhaps most importantly, they brought their methods of preparing those foods and ingredients. Each island has something unique to offer the massive and also delicious collection that makes up Caribbean cuisine. Anguilla, known for its baby powder white beaches and crystal clear water, and I do mean crystal clear, trust me, it's ridiculous. You have to see it. It's also known for its culinary scene as well. The food is awesome. Growing up around Anguilla's charming food scene is what allowed Kurth Gums to develop his eclectic palate. A chance opportunity to join a food and nutrition class while in high school would further usher him into the world of culinary arts. More than a decade on, and several adventures in kitchens throughout Europe and Asia, Kurth is now the executive chef at one of London's top restaurants. Here's the story, thus far, of Chef Kurth Gums. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. He is a master chef and one of the stars of Great British Menu, Kurth Gums. Welcome to Planet 30. Hi, hi, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Now, you are from a tiny little island in the Caribbean, Anguilla, correct? That's correct. Tell me, what, is, what does Anguilla mean to you? Well, Anguilla is, is that backbone of of strength and drive, you know, that, that's what it means to me because for all the experiences, um, mostly bad and good growing up on the little island, um, that helped me to really push and propel myself forward to try to make a better life for myself. And when you think back of home, you have to think about those experiences. And if I think about those experiences, I'm thinking of my now and I'm thinking of my future. Got it. Got it. So it's um, definitely deep motivation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's exactly what it is to sum it up. It's motivation. Got it. Now, in my in my research, <laughs> come to find out, you were a top dancer. Um, <laughs> tell me about that. Was was the dream to be a dancer or or to be a chef, or was it something you know else? What? I was actually it's it's a hobby, um, and I still love dancing now. Um, but growing up in, in Angola. I was maybe most known or popular around three sectors. It would have been dancing. You know, we had a little dance group, the trendsetters, and performing in carnivals and just doing whatever it is. Wherever Pan plays, you'll see Kurt somewhere walking up himself, you know. And <laughs> I was also <laughs> I was also good with athletics, track and field. You know, I was world championships in 2002, Edmonton, Canada. Um, so... And then after that, you know, it was the cooking thing as well. So I was always like associated around these three elements um, of things. What um, what events? Right. What events did you do in track and field? I did eight hundred and four hundred meter. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, okay. Didn't know that. 
Um, what are your, tell me, what are your first memories of, um, falling in love with food and in particular cooking? Um, I think that would be, you know, growing up, um, I mean, everyone would know my mother, Daphne, um, she cooks for hotels, parties, um, bar mitzvahs, um, funerals whatever she, she 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 always catered for everything on the island from birthday cases and weddings and funerals as i say and a lot of times people would be like oh daphine the food was so good you know can we can we can we have that again should we do this again and i'll be like no we can't do that again it's like someone just died you know what i mean like but the sense of that is like she was bringing you know smiles and appreciation to people's uh, faces um, and homes through food, and I used to witness that a lot of times, and that's what I—that's what I wanted to um, be able to, you know, um, give that back to people so they can witness that and the smiles and so forth. It was something that really resonated with me in terms of what I remember growing up and being in the in the kitchen. You know, she was always making cakes and always doing rum cakes, particularly, which is something traditional for the Caribbean. And um, you know, me as a young kid sticking my finger in tasting the rum cake batter—that was one of my first foodie memories. Um, you know, growing up around my mother and through all the different food and catering that she was doing. So I guess the love for for cooking was really started in in your in your kitchen at home. Did that spark the you know chef curse? Did that spark the, the the beginning of the journey? I would say that was something I was familiar with. Um, but what really sparked it for me is you know when you when you go to the school high school you have um, in food form you had a choice of auto mechanics, food nutrition, and woodwork. Indeed, and I would all, I, you know, on the day of making my own assessments, I walk around, I would look into the auto mechanics class, I would look into the woodworks class, and everybody was in there, which, which is mostly boys, just hanging away on things, ping, 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 doing their thing, you know, being boys. And I was never really, you know, attracted to that, and it was quite dirty for me as well, to be honest. And when I walk around and I, and I looked into the food nutrition class, I saw 16 girls, two boys, I was like, woo, that's my class. I'm, I'm, I'm going in there. But in all fairness, honestly, it's like that was the motivation factor for me as well as just thinking that at least if I choose... Uh, food nutrition and whatever I cook I'll also get to eat because you know I come from humble beginnings um, a really rough um, period in time when I was younger going to school as well so you know I was never sure when the next meal gonna be but at least I knew that every whether it's every Friday afternoon or a Thursday afternoon when we do food nutrition whether it's gonna be a cake or pizza or whatever it is if I gonna cook it and partake in that class I will get to eat it so I was quite familiar um, quite looking forward to that actually so I end up yeah I chose food nutrition above the woodwork and auto mechanics and you know shortly after you know, joining the class the teachers was pushing us and would always say you know the boys are doing good or can we get in groups can you compete like this and you know soon after that it was like the boys was really doing well and you know as opposed to the girls was doing good as well but the boys was maybe because it was only three of us we were shining and that was a lot of engagement you know i was miss foy um 
she would always like say, Kirk, you're doing this or that. And it was a way for me to challenge some of that energy that I had and, and, and just tone it down and actually just cook. So I quite enjoyed um, going to food nutrition class and a very respected teacher, you know, Miss Ford is someone I looked up to as well. So it was good. It was good. Excellent. Excellent. You know, you know, you always never know, you know, what experience will will push you into the direction that you need to go into because here is it that you had you had options in terms of what classes to take and the bare fact that you walked by the food and nutrition class and saw what was going on you know that that changes tra- the trajectory of your life that's interesting yeah 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 it was it's, it's, I always look back over it and I, I tell my story and you know people laugh because <clears throat> like now I'm not very up to this day, I'm not creative with my hands in terms of, you know, if I order something from Ikea, I can't, you know, put together a closet or chest of drawers. Or, that just does my head in. I can't, you know, I'm not that kind of handyman. But then when it comes to food, you know, and building and sculpting and using creativity and anything to do with my hands with food, then it's more on that artistic, you know, timeline for me. It, I don't know. It's very difficult for me to say, but... When it comes to looking at food and creating stuff and building it, whether it's going to be, you know, 3D or horizontal or whatever it's going to be, I can try to do that with food. And I'm, I'm engaged. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to want to walk out how to get it done. But when it comes to just taking a, a book and looking at a cupboard and want to screw and pound a nail here and there, <laughs> that does my head in that. No, no. <laughs> so, so, no, so you leave high school. Um, having done food and nutrition, and then what? How do we get from high school in Anguilla to Kurt the Master Chef? What, what, what was the journey in between there? Oh, wow, that's good. All right, then. So <laughs> let me try to take you through it as it was. Um, yeah, finishing high school, I think me and my good friend, my best friend, you know, um, his uncle is Hall, and obviously, uh, Hall has uh, one of the leading bakeries in the island at that time as well. I mean, up to today. So yeah. he had he had the um, the equipment, the facilities for us to be able to do what we call Lemino's Pizza, and that just is a you know a, a nickname of a Domino's Pizza. And Lemino's Pizza was like, let me know what you want. So me and my friend Lendon, <laughs> we just we just uh, brilliant pizza. Yeah, we did a pizzeria idea, um, got into there in the night times and used their, their equipment and started doing pizza and selling pizza as a business for about a year. Um, after after that, we were young as well, about 16, 17 years old. So after that, we um, when it was time to like, you know, try to do something else in terms of our career, I went to work in Capsuluco, which is one of the leading um, five-star hotels on the island as well. But I didn't go as a chef. I went there as a waiter and an expediter to learn how to carry the trays and put on the plates and set your knife and forks and all that different parts of the etiquette of eating. Mm-hmm. And I would see the chefs in the kitchen, you know, cooking and, you know, flambeing their stuff. And, and I was always fascinated by it. But... As it was for me, like like a secondary thing of because I was actually doing my track and field at the same time, which I had a scholarship for, and the scholarship would have been for January two thousand and four, um, and I remember 
I had some issues the year before in 2003, like around August time, just after the cover or whatever. I had some kind of like juvenile delinquent problems. And I mean, I'm not ashamed by it because that's how it was back in the island. That is, you know, how I was growing up with always being forced to, you know, protect yourself in a different manner. And the coaches at that time, they thought that it would have been best for me to, as a punishment, to, um, suspend my scholarship from the January 2004 till September of 2004. And as a young, you know, young adult coming up, I was like hot-headed and I would be like, no, no, why? Why, why? Because you, I'm the second fastest in the school. You know, you know what I'm capable of. You know how my, my, my commitment, my dedication is. And I didn't really agree with it. Mm-hmm. So... I've had like a, a bit of a dispute against it and, you know, they've already made up their mind. I can't change it. You know, I was hungry, hungry to leave the island, hungry to to, to get the opportunity to do, to do something better. But, you know, being young and hot-headed, I must have messed it up. They suspended my scholarship. That's life. I just looked at it at the next thing that I was going to be good at and I spoke to my father like on a Friday. I took a, a weekend um, trip away to St. Martin and St. Kitts, came back on the Monday and by the by the Tuesday afternoon, my father came with some papers um, when I told him that I was thinking about cooking college. And he came with some uh, papers for Le Cordon Bleu, which, is, which was in London, it was in um, California, it was in Tartola. And I was thinking about the one in Tartola because that, you know, at a period in time during food nutrition, some scouts had come to the classroom. And... Um, I thought I would have been good because I'm not too far away. One hour away, I can get, you know, get a plane ride back home whenever, weekend and so forth. No, my father actually found the school in London um, because, you know, he wanted me to get get away, get away from all that was going on and for me to actually be um, in a busy city mm-hmm. where I have, you know, bigger chances, more competition. And I was like, well, beggars can't be choosers. This is an opportunity. Uh, we, we discussed this in September of 2003, and by the 1st of January 2004, I was on a plane to London. Wow. Going to look. Yeah, it was it was super quick. And I didn't have no one. I didn't know anyone. Just walked into a hostel. You know, I got my cousin, who's from the island. He was in London at that time, and actually he was up here. And he came to meet me, showed me where I can settle in, um in a hostel, showed me where the school was, and that was it. Just one day, someone just showed me something, and then from the second day, I would have to take the route. And because I was an athlete, I wouldn't even get on the bus. I would run behind the bus from bus stop to bus stop, following the, the route, so I can keep my bearings in mind and find out where where I need to go. And I did that for about a week as well, just home, run behind the bus, number 23, to the school. Home time, run behind the bus, from the school to my hostel. Amazing. And I did that for a week. Yeah, just running. Never got onto the bus, never paid any bus fare. And I just did that because I wasn't sure. Everything was new to me. All the tubes, the trains, the buses, taxis, all that was new to me. So I didn't want to get lost. I didn't want to get... I was just trying to, you know, take my basic instincts and in, in, in use them to my advantage so I did that once I went to the Cordon Bleu and I got set it in 
I studied um, a grand diploma in basic, intermediate, and superior pastry and cuisine. Mm-hmm. Once, once, um, once graduation from the Cotton Blue, I then was looking around trying to find a restaurant to work in. Um, it wasn't that easy, even like coming out of a uh, with a grand diploma from the Cotton Blue and going into a kitchen as right back down to the bottom. I wasn't even sure what does the diploma really represent? Right. Because I was thinking, I got a diploma, that means I'm, you know, I paid uh, you know, a lot of money for this course, I'm going to be coming in, I'm going to be well equipped. Don't get me wrong, they showed you a lot of things, and it was all about the theories, the thesis, and the basics, intermediate and superior, yes, but when you go into the kitchen, you're still going right back down to ground zero. Right. You're actually nobody coming in with with that little, you know, shiny gold stump on your on your diploma because my first day in one of the kitchens they asked me to go to the fridge to grab some chevel and I go downstairs and I just didn't have a clue what that re- what that was. So I ended up picking up all the herbs, coming upstairs and presenting them to the chef and everybody was like laughing at me because I was there in the kitchen on my trial day with my fancy school jacket on, you know, and, and, and your ribbon and color and everybody thinking like, look at this kid. And I was <laughs> laughed at. Laughed at. But then as I walked later on, I realized that the diplomas didn't really have value until I gave them value, until I become of value. That's when the, when the diploma started to get value for it to say, oh, curved gums of alumni from the Cardin Blue, etc. But when I would just come as curved gums from the Cardin Blue, it mean absolutely nothing. Just that I've got, um, you know, a chance to be in a, a top school. But it didn't really give me everything that I needed. And that was fine because when I really landed my first job and one of the chefs that I, I respect highly up to today, you know, he saw a lot of passion to me, which, you know, could be translated it was a lot of anger. And, you know, coming up in the Caribbean in, in, in tough environments, yeah, I had a temper, a very, very bad temper. Mm. And, but being in the kitchen um, is a place where that temper could be welcome if you kind of, you know, focus and put it into something more of value, something worthwhile. In, in the kitchen, in the type of kitchens I was in, everyone had a temper, but everybody was, temper was focused on setting up a service, focused on cleaning down, focused on getting the food right, mistakes, you know. You work up for many years, like I did six years of Michelin Star Kitchens, which is like really, really crazy. I was, you know, I was like 7 a.m. in the morning to 1, 1 a.m. in the morning. Ooh. And then back, <clears throat> yeah, I did that like 16, 17 hours a day. And the amount of different, you know, hard work and, you know, tedious tasks that it would give you to do in the kitchen was um, mind-boggling. And anybody could say, oh, when I told the stories, oh, Kurt, but why do you take this or why you take that? Of course, you know, the young curse could have been that, you know, little temperamental kid and going there and just do whatever and walk out and well, who, who would have been walking out on? I would have been walking out on myself. Mm. So because it was so physically challenging, I, I took it and, and, and tried to make the best of it. And after a while, like the six years of doing those kind of hours, um, I wanted to learn a bit more about not about just food, 
Because then by that time, like you can say like I knew how to cook, but I still didn't knew how to be a better me. I didn't know how to to manage myself, manage my temperament um, to the best degree, and more most importantly, um, I was at a stage where I had to be teaching and training a lot of other people under me, and that means you need a different level of patience. You need to to say um, when I was coming up, it's like if you're here and you're not here tomorrow, it's like nobody worries. You know, it's a kuna matata. So <laughs> I I just really had to. Um, push on I went back to that chef that was a good mentor to me and you know I went to learn more about the management side of things because I think trying to be able to match the two together would have made me um, a stronger chef and I did that with this guy again for another two years and I missed the food that I was doing I missed that that adrenaline rush um, that I used to get from being in these you know, fine dining kitchens. And everybody would say, oh, you're crazy, you're going back to it. But at the end of the day, I think if I didn't do it and I didn't have a difficult story to tell, all the difficult experiences I've had through those years of working, then you wouldn't be able to look back and reflect on on anything good because anybody that wants to be somebody probably had a difficult story to tell. And I always try to, to take those, you know, view those negative things and look at them as positives. So when I get back into the fine dining kitchen and so forth, I then said, you know, I wanted to make myself an asset to myself. And how I would be able to do that would be, I need some international experience. I need I need to be able to say and have a, a better talking point of reference to say, I've, yes, I've worked in this good restaurant, that good restaurant, this Michelin star, that Michelin star, this hotel, that hotel. But then you need... And you need on your resume as well. You need to be able to have some international experience. So I decided to go to, and I moved to Southeast Asia. I lived in Singapore um, for about three years. And again, I did that off the bat without um, knowing anybody. Maybe I knew two people in Singapore at the time. And that's it. I took that move, went and um, tried to make the best of that experience, which was quite good as well because I loved Thai food, I love Asian food, I love uh, Vietnamese, and it, it was good for me to be able to be a bit more diverse in not just the modern British cuisine that I was learning, but then be able to use a bit more of that um, Asian you know, flavor. Yeah, Asian flavors. And to be honest, living in Southeast Asia, it, it reminded me of the Caribbean. The, the, the seas was beautiful, you know, the people was nice, the fruits and vegetables was more on the tropical side than what I would find in, in London. Um, and I was quite I was quite happy to have done that. So, you know, I did that three and a half years. Then, you know, eventually a project that I wanted to do um, over there kind of fell through as well and that helped made me make a decision to move back to London and, you know, I've been back in London ever since and just on the same the same platform of, you know, working to try to make myself a better me. Um, whereas not just staying at one position, but actually, you know, challenging myself. Uh, right, right now where I work in um, Oma Mayfair, it's actually, you know, very center of London. Um, it has a certain clientele and it's good because it reflects the kind of food that I've been training that I was doing. And, and I was faced with a lot of stereotypical point of views like many times when they you know customers would meet the chef and 
they were like surprised to see that I'm not doing job chicken and rice and peas or, <laughs> or whatever, you know. <laughs> when they see the chef comes out and he's a you know, a black man with dreadlocks, you know, you you get that little twinkle in the eye of surprise. And it wasn't in that bad way all the time, but at the end of the day it, it was good for me to be able to you know, learn um my craft uh in the same format or, or same shade of rooms that you know, the type of cuisine that most people was pushing over here for to try to amount to accolades and, and, and so forth. So in a, in a nutshell, I think I'm maybe missing a bit of um, any specifics you need to know. But yeah, it's been a, a long 16 years of, um, of you know, just developing myself when it comes to, to food all around. No, that's, that's, I mean, that was wonderful. I mean, very intriguing. What 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 cuisine would you say is your specialty? I mean, if any, I think <clears throat> I'm, I'm I'm modern European, but like I said, um, I do love some Asian flavors, and I guess when you're looking at a part of having some kind of identity, you know, um, it's more or less the way. I apply certain methods and techniques to ingredients that will make it a style. For now, it's always been modern European. But say, for instance, if I was in the Caribbean, it would be modern te- techniques on Caribbean produce. So then what do you call it? Right. And I was thinking about this a couple of years back, and I was like, you know, would it be called Caribbean Because, you know, I'm originally from the Caribbean. I love Asian flavors. And then it's fusion. And what is what is fusion? You know, what is the Caribbean? It's, you know... That's exactly what the Caribbean is. It's a fusion of islands and, and cuisines and cultures, you know, all presented in that archipelago. So, you know, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. So you mentioned that you cook for a few Michelin star restaurants. I mean, this is a big deal. Um, what are some of the restaurants in terms what are the names of some of those restaurants? So I used to work for Tom Akins, which is um Mm. A big, a big celebrity chef uh, in the UK. Um, he's had um, a lot of great uh, proteges that's fallen off of his, uh, came from his kitchens uh, or leadership, not just in London but around the around the world. Um, I've also worked for Joe Robichon. He, the late Joe Robichon, he actually died about a year or two ago, um, and he's a chef that has been celebrated for having the most Michelin stars throughout the the world and I'm, in every country that he opened a restaurant he's had a Michelin or two Michelin stars in I was part of his team that opened the first Joe Robichon in uh, 2007 in London um, you know we got one star then I worked for the next year we got two stars and and then I left um, then I also worked for Jason Atherton he's probably now one of the most renowned uh, celebrity chefs who as well hold uh, a numerous amount of restaurants around the world um, with high accolades I did his restaurant in Singapore which was um, uh, a tapas bar a skina, and then I also went to open up his um, experimental cocktail bar with a cafe onto it late in the next year following. I've also worked for Aggie Severin, who comes from an institute from La Manoir. Uh, he's an Icelandic chef and has as well a Michelin star for his Scandinavian cuisine. Um, yeah, the, the, the list kind of goes on, but those are the so most... Um, most people... Most 
sorry, most people uh, dream of working for one Michelin star restaurant. You have worked for several. <laughs> no, so clearly you're talented. But do you ever get intimidated, like um, approaching some of these chefs, or you know, knowing their reputations? Uh, yeah, it's actually like you're signing up for. You know, I don't want to make it sound bad, but you're signing up for you know your, your own personal abuse because, like, you're gonna know that the hours are gonna be crazy. You're gonna know that your salary is gonna be next to nothing. You're gonna know that the work. In, that you're going to be doing inside the, the kitchen is going to be very mental, tedious, and yeah, it was excruciating. So you're intimidated by the food, you're intimidated by the profile of the chefs. But at the same point in time, it is um, a pulling factor because you, in order for you to want to better your, your, your craft, you're going to have to accept what they got. I can't go in and change any of that. You know, I just got to endure it and see what I can suck up like a sponge. And then now when I find myself in a position like where I'm at, I do a lot of things um, different to what has been given to me because I think that was an important thing um, where not everyone was always willing to teach you anything. You know, I always had to be peeping over people's shoulders, waiting for that that day for of an opportunity. And, I, you know, I tell my chefs a lot of times, no, like, if you're doing that same section for three months, you're going to have that down, you know, it's methodic. You have to be methodic. you got to be consistent. you got to be um, t- time management. So once you got that down for three months, you should be freeing up, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, and get yourself over onto another section and peeping around and trying to, to learn as much more as you, as, as you can. But back then, that in those times, the chefs wasn't like, oh, curse, come and see this, oh, curse, come and see that. You know, um, I would just be peeping and looking, seeing how he makes his sauce, what he, how does he fill his fish, what does he put in his draw, what does he put in that dish. And then one day, actually, um, at Tom Akins, the sous chef who was on a section, he called sick, and nobody ever really called sick, because that's like, that means you're going to have a hell of a week the next week following if you come back to work. So you don't ever really call sick. Um, anyways, this happened and they were looking for someone to, to jump in a section because we were already tight. And I was like, chef, I can do it. And I, I've never done it before. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's, let's, let's give you a chance. And I, I gone over there and I, I jump on and fundamentally, I, it was a very difficult service. I got a lot of things wrong, but mm. I think what they what they saw is that I knew where things was going. I knew how to set up the path. I knew how to set up things, and then they just needed to teach me the cuisines and the temperature on the meat. But I knew seventy percent of the things that no, and, and no one had shown me anything. So that was quite good. And they used to always make joke of me in that kitchen back in the time, and I used to have a very strong accent. And, they couldn't really uh, understand what I was saying, and they'd be like, yeah, man, hey, man. They were always giving you the same man kind of story, and it's, it's the same thing when I went to work in a French kitchen. They didn't speak any English whatsoever. I had to learn all my numbers in French to be able to cook this. I had to learn the whole menu of only what was pertaining to my section, as I was doing the meat. Um, I had to learn all the dishes in, in, um, in, in French. You know, even when Mr. Robichon used to come over, he used to, he used to call me Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, because I used to wear a bandana back then and so forth. So it was, it was funny. It was, they have a different way of really um, connecting 
to the staff through the food. And, uh, you know, I really admired that because everybody was really serious about, about the, you know, where the food comes from and how it's grown and, you know, how to treat it. Mm. And then the other restaurants, other Michelin star restaurants would be very on the, you know, pushing, you know, the boundaries of, of uh, experimental. So it's, it's, I learned a lot of things from different kitchens. How, so how do you, I mean, this, is, this all sounds overwhelming. How do you keep yourself together mentally and physically under such grueling circumstances? Um, really, I don't, I don't know. I think very much so in my early years, like especially for the first um, maybe eight years, uh, thinking about my life back on the island and, you know, what I come from and just, you know, I had a lot of anger in, I think, that was as well a propeller of me really, really yearning to try to do something different, you know, and all the things that was happening around me is you you, you, you think that, oh, okay, you can't be focused. And many times, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't focused in that way of being a person that would be just sane. I was focused on trying to make myself better. I was just swallowing and absorbing everything that was being dished out to me, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, and I'm just taking it. It's not about having to say it's a bad experience. I think that is my experience, and without that, I'm not sure what type of chef would I be now. Would I go and repeat the same thing to my chef? No, but that doesn't mean... um, the chef of today doesn't see things differently to what I was seeing back then. So, you know, uh, staying focused was an everyday thing, you know. Um, I would practice, come home to my friends, my family, um, cook them dishes that I was seeing and trying in the restaurant with them. So I was doing all these little things just to try to keep some kind of normality to, to, to my, my mindset. Mm, interesting. What, what do you think is the... If you just had to pinpoint one thing, what do you most enjoy about your career? What I most enjoyed about my career, I think... Even today, um, what do you most enjoy? Like, I, 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 love, I love what I do because I think, um, you know, there's a saying going all the time, if you find a job that you love, you never feel like you have to work a day in your life. And... I wake up, I'm the first chef in the kitchen, I leave late, um, because why? Because I'm just, I'm addicted, I love what I do, I love food, I love now being able to to train chefs up in a manner that I wasn't, you know, fortunate for me to have when I was coming through. I love being able to, to make something out of nothing, to make people happy to food, to open their, curi- their curiosity, to, you know, do things that really, you know, on the on the boundaries of excitement for, for from kids to adults alike. I, I love seeing people have the smiles. I love being able to to do what my mom used to do for the people back on the island, but now on a, on a much larger scale. I love the, that my career is something that keeps me involved mentally and emotionally because you know when you have these things connected. You want to be able to be in a good place so you can create good food. And you can't just do it all the time from being angry or being sad because all these things have to mess with your motivation. 
and you need to have motivation, which leads into dedication to your to your to your craft. Indeed, indeed. What do you think is the the conversely? What do you think is the toughest thing about being a chef? Uh, I think the toughest things about being a chef is not being able to really see the rewards right away um, until until you actually you know put yourself out there. I think. Um, a lot of chefs uh, uh, are take it for granted, but you don't know where where it comes from. I think you know me myself or the chef themselves. They have a part to play with it in terms of you know not just showing up at a kitchen and just you know there's several chefs that just see the clock and say, oh you start from eight and you finish at five and you just they look like they want to punch out. But you always have to be able to do that little extra and hopefully if you know, the chefs or whoever your hierarchy will be able to see that it's enthusiasm and you're there because of passion. And many times I think these things go unnoticed. And even right now in my position, uh, you know, I feel the same way um, a couple of years back, you know, mm. no matter the position, I feel like you're not taking advantage of, but taking for granted. And it's, 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 it's um, a little bit hurtful because you know, you, you work with a lot of your heart. I put in hours, and if you calculate uh, salaries uh, based on hours you are uh, in what's not, you, you're, you're not making that much, but you're given everything that you can. You know, I, I'm never switched off, whether it's a Sunday or it's a Monday or Tuesday, and maybe that's a bad thing, but I'm always there for my staff, and I'm always there for my employers. But, when you know, and I think... That should be just to be able, if there was a way for people to, I don't know, I guess it's dealing with management, you know. It's, everybody has their own way to just try to recognize things a bit earlier on. And I think I hold myself back a long time in, in my career um, previously going under the radar because not being, you know, feeling that it was my time to really step out and do it. And then at the end of the day, I just came to a point and said, well, you know what? It's not happening now. When when are you going to make it happen? Because I was doing stuff as as a senior sous chef for like five years, uh, doing the whole menus, doing this and that. And the head chef was, you know, just using most of my stuff. Um, But still, I was still not getting anything from it. No promotions, no no um, no better benefits, no nothing. But just doing it and. It was then again another way of me saying, you know what, at least I'm getting experience. And if you put that onto the menu and he used that dish and used that idea, then that's a nod to me because, I mean, I'm doing something right. I mean, I'm able to actually create a balanced a balance dish with acidity, sweetness, saltiness, umami, whatever. Um, so definitely uh, one of the disappointing things is about deck management um, for chefs. I think they, they get worked and not appreciated when they should be and sometimes when they do comes with appreciation it might be too late and you kind of burn that wig out and you feel like what's the point mm. and it's also very competitive what are, let, let me ask you this what are the three things that you um would say to an aspiring chef like who's probably thinking about the journey or just starting the journey what are three definitive things that they must know before entering, mu- well, they, they must know that um, first they must make a, a conscious decision and say that they want to be a chef. Um, 
and try to identify what type of chef they want to be. Not just, I'm not going against anything, but not just the ones that's going to go in and plot along. Because the minute you get into a kitchen and you see that you have that, and I think a lot of us from the Caribbean as well, we have this drag of a foot kind of mentality and you kind of just plot along, they will leave you there plodding along. They'll put you to just peel onions and chop shallots and do tomato confit, and you're not going to get anything interesting. And like I said earlier, like you have to look over your own shoulders and other people's shoulders to try to learn as much as you can. And then you find a buddying system. You know, not just the people um, or the kitchens where we're doing the best food, but also the people that has help bring all the better qualities in you. And you got to be conscious of that as well because, you know, not saying that everywhere has, um, everywhere has a good and a bad environment. But when you decide to how you want to associate it, yourself with, that's totally up on you. And if you want to be a chef and you want to be a good chef, you just got to mentally say, listen, I'm going to go in, set that target. I'm going to do one year, do the year, regardless of what happens and goes and do your time. And later on, it will, it will, you know, you will come back to you and reap your rewards. Mm. So I think, I think, um, most importantly, the aspiring chefs, they just have to be dedicated and committed. Don't, don't be a critter. Because you're not quitting on the job, you're quitting on yourself. Excellent. And don't get me wrong, that, that is, so many restaurants that you should do your research before you just go into the, the kitchen, maybe go and have a, a meal at that restaurant. Oh, follow the chef, whether, you know, whether it's social media, but don't get too too caught up and say, oh, it's all about social media, because half the time people look at social media and they see the food, but they love it and they want to go and learn how to do it, but they don't understand that there is a, a, a huge amount of work ethic that goes behind of making sure that that dish comes out consistently and consistently every time the same way. That means you got to go in at this time, you got to finish at that time. That means you have this amount of elements to put into that dish. It got to be done, cut correctly, cooked correctly, this, this, and this. And you might have the good days, you might have the bad days, but they're all just days, days that's going to add up to your profile and your resume. And don't be don't, don't be afraid to, to ask for help. Think about it. Riding the bike to work, that's something I used to do well. When I catch the tube, I'm thinking of what my menu is on the tube. Any downtime you have, when you want to sleep, have your sleep. But if you're on your way to work, you know, from the tube or the walk from the tube to the restaurant, think about it. You know, the more you do and you think about it, it's going to become easier. Because things that we put ourselves off and we're afraid of or we're upset with, it's it's all a state of mind. So you just got to continue to think about them and you'll be able to push through. And, And pushing through means actually just remaining remain employed remain at the job that you chose that you want to do remain in the career that you want to do don't wait and you waste 10 years and then say oh i don't want to be a chef anymore i want to be uh, a plumber or whatever the case is nothing is wrong with any career but i i believe that you know food is the source that maintains us and i think through every career in, in the any job or any profession you know everyone needs to eat so it's, it's not a bad choice to, to, to become a chef. Excellent advice. Kurt, would you change anything about your journey? No, uh, I won't change nothing about my journey. And I, I guess it's like cliche and a lot of people will always say they won't change anything. But honestly, I don't, I don't see myself changing anything because I think 
I've worked extremely hard. I've had times when my alarm goes off at, you know, 5.30 in the morning and I choose my teeth and I feel like I wanted to cry. You know, I had that kind of, you know, in my voice when you get a croak, so I wanted to cry because I actually had to go back in. But that was that was hard. It was hard work and I'm not ashamed of having to do hard work to say, change something in my career and do, do it easier. You know, my, my upcoming and my, you know, upbringing has been... Difficult, but then again, if it wasn't, then I wouldn't have this time here with you sharing this experience. And you know, I hope people who've in similar um, backgrounds back home and so forth having a um, a delinquent upcoming, or you know, could see that they can turn a lot of that unfiltered energy, that negative energy, that anger, into positives. Because if you think you're angry or aggressive or bad when you go into a kitchen you're going to find you know so much different tools so you that you're going to need to apply that that that, that energy to that can just make you a bit more regulated because you want to be angry be angry with yourself that you can't get this correct challenge yourself be competitive you want to fight fight with making that making yourself learn that section making yourself do better on that on this dish or that, da da da. So you know you're taking the same things that you have all the time in you, and you're just you know making them get yeah, different way of um, showcasing the best bits of yourself, the best bits of yourself. Mm-hmm. Now you have a unique um, flair and a sense for fashion. Um, where did that come from, and and does it translate to your dishes in terms of presentation and style? <laughs> I think, um, yeah, my, my missus or my friends or whoever, they, they might say I'm a bit eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that's not a bad thing. You, you want to, I think it does. My food is um, a bit vibrant or can be described as, as a bit abstract. Um, but then again, when you see curved gums and then you, you see the style of food, and if you know me a little bit, then you probably be like, "Okay, yeah, I can see where that where, where, that, where that's coming from." And it's it all plays with people's minds because they 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 enough times I've had comments back before like, "I don't cook the way I, the way I look," which means the image. Mm. But but then that's that was a good thing because when you do when you do food as you eat it through your eyes and so forth, food is something that brings us all together and it's a, a focus point on, on on it could be a focus point on conversation starter especially in, in restaurants and fine dining restaurants so I think it's a good thing um, that I I've had I have this type of style which is maybe um, characterized as, as as eccentric or a bit. A bit flamboyant. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, yeah. Here's a fun. Yeah. Here's a fun question for you. It's um, the basketball finals in the United States, and it's late at night. And of course, you're in the UK, but you're watching a game or you're watching a movie or something late at night, and you go into the kitchen. What is Kurt Gums' go-to snack? Mm. Late night in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, it's probably it's probably gonna be it's probably gonna be crisps. Ah, it's probably gonna, it's probably gonna be crisps. Yeah. Now, do you make your own crisps? Or do you? N- not when I'm home, to be honest. You know what? Out of all the, the, the cooking and stuff you do, um, I'll cook 
and I put the same level of attention to detail to my food at home for my my kids or my friends and my family. But then when I'm finished catering and cooking, sometimes I just go out and, and have a, a bowl of cornflakes for myself because I would prefer to give you my portion. Like if it's if you got ten people and I'm 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 the eleventh person, I'll give you and serve you. I'm I'm still like that, and then I'll eat whatever else is left. You know, if I want to be catered to, I end up going into a own restaurant. But if I'm home, I end up always, you know, just taking. The, the offcuts of something. So enough of the times I end up going eating a bowl of frosty flakes or having some crisps or, or, or something easy for myself. If the potions doesn't stretch along into my way, I prefer to see you happy or enjoy or hear your criticism on and so forth through my, off of my portion. I mean, I give. I, give, I mean, yeah, how, ahead, how lucky are your kids that they get to eat gourmet meals <laughs> for yeah, free? They're, they're, <laughs> they're cracking. They're, they're cracking. Lot. They. they I'm 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 quite um I'm quite thankful in that in that respect when it comes to my kids like they don't even if it's something they don't really have like oh I don't like this don't like that even if they don't like something with me they don't really ever say they would they were still quiet you know they'll eat caviar lobster uh, they will eat ceviche they will eat sushi they will eat uh, medium or medium or medium rare meat um you know they might say oh I don't really want tomatoes but. If I make it in tomatoes and this and such, they will still eat it. So they're very open-minded, um, and I think that was that's quite good because kids now these days they just omit everything and they end up like you know being intolerant to this and intolerant to that. And so far, most of my all my kids are, are quite okay with when it comes to eating and having a, a, a gourmet appetite. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now it is obvious to the world that. Kurth Gums is or is becoming one of the uh, most famous celebrity chefs. And one of your uh, steps in that direction was the fact that you were on Great British Menu. Tell us about, well, first of all, tell us why you applied for that show or, or did they come to you? And um, what the experience was like? Yeah, um, it was an ex- exhilarating experience. Um, they actually, they actually found me. I think for a long time I've been sharing a lot of my food, my work, and different things around. And they came one day. Um, they wrote my email. They came to the kitchen, and I was actually overwhelmed and thrilled for it to happen because it's when I moved to the UK in 2004 this program actually started out in 2006 and it was something that I was always watching as I was you know going through the kitchens and you know grafting uh, and I always admired it and I always wanted to be on that show and now 15 series which is 15 years later I finally got a chance to, to do that so when they came to the kitchen it was more a matter of not only if you can cook, but if you can, you know, be filmed and concentrate and and cook under pressure and so forth like that. And it was and have really a personality good. and have a personality. So they did that part, and like really at the end of the thing, from the get go, the lady just said, "I can tell you now, you know, I, I, no, no, I can tell you now, Kurt. Yeah, you're gonna be on. You're gonna be on the show." 
And I was laughing because she was saying like, oh yeah, you got to take it back to her producers and, and so forth. And they're all going to go through the footage that I, that they did of me in the kitchen, just talking to her, answering questions while I'm cooking some stuff in service. And, you know, she told me that, but I still wasn't sure. And then they wrote me the email selling me this, this and this. Um, a couple of weeks later, I got through, I'm selected, da da da. And what they're going to need, X, Y, and Z about the brief which was 150 years of children's literature. So we had to cook, um, uh, make a six-course menu based on children's books. Um, and you had about six weeks to present them with that. And then an additional week with the ideas, um, with the recipes, etc. And that was, um, it was a process. It was because, you know, I knew of the pedigree of chefs that go go on to this um, this great dish menu for years. And, you know, I really knew that I had to dig deep and try to, you know, do what I do, but on a more complimentary level to, to, to what it was in terms of hitting the brief and having the food flavorsome, having the food attractive, having um, the correct props, uh, the equipment they're going to be used, and still being able to to try somehow to be myself, so wow. that was really good. You do the first week, um, you're gonna be cooking off. Which they change the format against four chefs from London, um, all who you know get selected. Obviously, we had to do um, yeah, we had to do the the Amis bouche, um, the Amis bouche, the starter, fish course, main course pre-dessert and dessert um, and we do those over different days over the week while you've been filming and uh, after the fish course they will they will eliminate someone and then you'll leave you with three chefs fighting for the whole menu to the first day and then on the first day they will eliminate, eliminate another chef and leave two chefs fighting for the title for London and then on the Friday, because that would be a whole new three judges. It was, it was one uh, veteran chef, which was, would have been um, a celebrity chef, um, judging us for the first four days. And on the fifth day, it would be a different panel of judges, three now. And we cook the whole menu over again, me and the, the other chef. And they taste blind. And then they, they score us out of, out of ten. And uh, I was a champion for for that, uh, which was you know was an experience that I wasn't can't even explain. I put into words. Uh, it was very 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 um, rewarding. Everything was justified uh, at that moment, eh? Yeah, and, and, and right away I knew like okay, now you got to get ready for the finals, and obviously the finals is going to consist of seven other regions. So there are going to be seven other winners plus myself. So it was eight regions altogether. So London, you're going to have Wales, you're going to have Scotland, you're going to have Ireland, you're going to have, you know, Northwest. So it was, I know it would have been going to be very, very um, tough competition. How was, the, how was um, that pressure knowing that, that London was on your back? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think when I felt when I felt most of my, my my pressures when I reached to the finals and I actually saw who I was up against the competitors, you know, they had one two different chefs had two Michelin stars to their name. 
Another two chefs had one star to their name. So that's already, you know, four or five chefs had Michelin stars and it was only eight of us there. And I was like, whoa, this is going to be gonna be a tough competition. This is gonna be a tough competition. So I was trying to, um, for, let me just talk you through, sorry, I'll just talk you through my dishes quickly. So right. I, I did for Miami's dish, which was a twist on a, a Johnny cake. Um, so I did like this crab Johnny cake with crab, caviar and salmon roll and a, smoke, and a smoked hickory mayonnaise. And then I did Peter Rabbit for my starter, which was um, Mr. McGregor's Garden, the Wild Garden, which is just, just based on carrots, like eight different elements of carrots, carrot cocktail, carrot sorbet, baked carrots, pickled carrots, the whole lot with goat cheese and walnut. Then I did uh, one of my most successful dishes, which was called Commotion in the Ocean, uh, which was based on like lobster. It was basically lobster, cauliflower, and like a lemongrass curry sauce i remember i remember uh, seeing that um in a video i mean it was excellent presentation it was just phenomenal i know yeah the, i thought to myself <laughs> there's the ang- there's the angular inspiration coming out thank you thank you yeah they, they I quite got a lot of good feedback on that one then i did for my main course the three little pigs um <laughs> Because it's a it's just a book that I remember growing up with. All right. the, rest of the books, is, yeah, you know, the rest of the books and stuff is like yeah, Peter Rabbit and everything is like I started getting them once I was up here in the UK. Then I did a pre dessert. Um, actually, I did a pre dessert which I actually had to do a new pre dessert for um, a different book when I when I got to the banquet, which I'll speak about a bit later. Then for the dessert, I did. Um, another book called The Far Away Tree. And that was as well um, another um, high-scoring dish so for, for, the, for the finals, which was my, my dessert course. So, yeah, being in, in, in the finals, seeing the competition I was on, knowing I'm representing London. Um, London is a very competitive um, region, obviously, um, and I, the talent was second to none. And most of all, it was a humbling experience. I was happy to be there. I was happy to be amongst these chefs and get a chance to to do um, what I've been doing all these years. And was I intimidated? Yeah, I think I was intimidated. I was shaking. I was nervous. But it, as I said before, it wasn't. It was good nerves. Nerves from a good place because I I, I wanted to test myself. Right. For all these years, and you want to make yourself an asset to yourself, but this was my chance. This was a chance for me to say, "Curse was that all worth it? All that that hard work, those pain, those sleepless nights, those days when you feel you're sick but you can't call sick." You know, I just stuck with it and keep doing it. And I had a, a roller coaster um, for for the finals. You know, my my starter course came last. My fish course came fourth, and I knew that that fish course could have been higher. I knew it in myself, but on on on, on that day, just the last, the, the, I don't know. I felt it wasn't to my hundred percent. And even producers text me and they said, that, you know, that they they loved all loved the dish and they've seen it a hundred times. Sometimes you just don't get it as right as you as you were custom because you got nods because this and that and cameras and that. But it was it is. I still had a great experience. Then I went on to my main course 
and God as well fall down low. And I was like, whoa. That night, I actually had, like, in my sleep, this panic attack because I, when I finished cook, I just wanted to get back into the kitchen. I didn't want to sleep. I just wanted to, let's go, let's go, let's go. I was sleeping, dreaming of my dessert course. I'm up first. And I was actually having a dream about actually getting the some chocolate, some dark chocolate. And for some reason, I couldn't reach the chocolate, and I was sweating, and my heart was palpitating. Oh, no. Going. Yeah, I was, I was a nervous wreck in the middle of my sleep, like 1 a.m. I would wake up every 15 minutes, checking to see if it's 5.30, yeah, let's go, let's go. I couldn't get back in the kitchen because I had one, one chance, one last chance, and that's the opportunity that a lot of people always ask for, and I knew that I wanted to do something with it, and I just couldn't sleep i went into the, the, the and everyone who saw the program on the friday i was a little bit different um because you know you, you, it, it's the last chance to get something there i was just a little bit different and i had to nail every element and my dessert was as well adventurous it had like 12 to 14 elements on it and Ooh. i was i was plating first so that whole experience again they'll ask me oh would you want to go back I wouldn't say no, but it's like, it's because it's just so just into your face right now. And I knew how it is when you're actually on set and you are competing, that drilling and rush and the nerves the, the, the and everything just got you into a, a, a big mess. And if you're unable to try to manage them, I think you're going to make a lot more mistakes than, than a lot of people. So it was, it was an awesome experience. Definitely. Awesome. And now a lot more people know who Kurt Gums is. And I'm sure there's, and, a lot, there's a lot of eyes on you now. Yeah, yeah. I've had, like, even on the days that my, of, the, of the dishes that I didn't do well in, I've had lots of complimentary um, messages, emails, everybody, you know, talking. And I, I, I'm, I was unaware of it because I didn't get to see myself back. Everybody was thinking and they thought I was gracious and humble and they loved the way I come across and being um, a personality on TV and I didn't make it boring and everything. And for that part of it, I was quite happy um, because sometimes I think you can come across a bit awkward um, on TV. And a lot of people was, you know, commenting that it was a good show and it was entertaining and they were actually happy that through my roller coaster of the finals that I still managed to get to the banquet. And even though I didn't get to the banquet with one of the main four courses, I got to the banquet with the pre-dessert, which was amazing because I had to then go back to the drawing board and create a whole new something to the Big Friendly Giant, which is the BFG um, children's book, um, in two weeks to get something new to go there. And then I reached there and everybody really loved it. And I think about it after the experience that, you know what, um, it was a different route, but same destination. Mm. And sometimes um, the opportunities or your victories doesn't come in as exactly the same format as you might think it is as coming first, second, or third. Me, people have done the competition for m- more than two years and they've never made it to the banquet. And for me having to make it there on my first year, I was extremely proud of myself. And I thought that was a victory in itself, um, given the experience and, yeah, the overall competition. I think this year was an amazing brief. You know, it gives almost every chef, I speak for them, to a platform where they can just use unlimited creativity and tap into unlimited imagination and just go go really wonkers with, with food, you know? 
Awesome, so, awesome, awesome. Who inspires you, Kurt? So that was a tricky question for me to answer. I think it's where I get inspiration from. I think um, uh, I could be... Uh, when it comes to my food creation, I get inspired by the the seasons, what's in season, but at the same time, I can be riding to work, I can see um, a graffiti, I can see a, a, a brick pattern on a wall or something, and I pick up different artistic um, inspirations from these things. So art as um, a whole, definitely, okay. Yeah, art, art, art as a whole, definite, um, but it's never from just one particular um one for one particular plane for me to get inspiration. It comes randomly from different places. It could be um, art, which are you know fashion. It da- could be product dance product, or product, writing or anything. Yes. Okay. Product design, anything like that. I, I can get inspiration from. It just comes. I have a, a process of how I like to get to 70% complete when I'm creating a dish by thinking of what's in season, followed by the methods and techniques of what I would like to apply to each of the individual ingredients. Once I have that, I then know which technique I want to apply based on do I want a foam, a gel, a spuma, a crisp, um, a sauce, uh, a jelly or something like this. And then once I have that, I start to think about the contrast each element is going to give me in terms of colors and textures. And that goes to follow up with choosing a suitable vehicle. Which type of plate? Is it a bowl? Is it a cup? Is it a plate, um, a wide plate, a small plate, oval plate, a rectangle plate, something like that. And that normally brings me to 70% complete in my mind of what I want to do when it comes to food. But that is 70%, but it's the last 30% is the part that really um, pushes you. It's the last 30% that is much more difficult, always the ending. Because I think many times, and I, a lot of chefs as well, you think about food in your mind, the hardest thing to do is to take that idea from your mind and onto a plate in the same manner of how you thought about it in your mind. Because when you think about it in your mind, you might think about it in you know, bells and jingle bells and whistles and it's looking all <laughs> ba-ba-boom. But when you start to bring that idea from your mind onto a plate, you'll quickly realize that it's probably not as practical because you then think about what you have, uh, your abilities, your storage, your strengths of your kitchen and people that's going to be able to replicate it and be consistent. It doesn't make sense. I do everything that only me can do. It's, it has to be what all of us can do together collectively as a team. So, as you start to bring this idea out, it starts to go back backwards. So that seventy percent will couldn't go back to sixty five because I got to change something, and you got to taste it and you taste everything together. And does it work? No, I mean change this, tickle this, you know, kill this some more, cook this some less, whatever, you know, just to get that thirty percent, it takes you another two or three drafts because I, I like to do my dishes on draft basis before I can say, okay, it's complete. And then the last 10% is me thinking, um, how is the customer should receive it? 
how should they eat? Do I want them to have it all together in a scoop, layer after layer of flavor? Do I want them to play? Do I want them to have a side vehicle? Do I want the waiter to present it left to right, right to left? Then, so this is what I'm saying. The first 70% is quite quick. The last 30% for me is that fine-tuning, that attention to detail, that understanding the experience that you want your customer to receive. That is the part where it takes you to a whole another level of translating your inspiration from your mind and onto a plate. It's quite, quite, quite tedious. Now, <laughs> what would what would you say to to 16-year-old Kurt? What advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? Probably be more... Maybe be a little bit more... Um, my 16-year-old self. Let me, let me just think about it for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> it definitely, because um, I said, like, when I was 16, it was a, it's a, a lot of trial and error I've had. Um, it was a very hot period of my, my upcoming. And I probably would be a bit more patient. I would say to be a bit more patient, but meaning to be less short-tempered. Because the 16-year-old me was a nutter. Let's just put it that way. But, um, yeah, I think if if I could have, um, if there's anything I could have done to help me uh, find this path sooner, it probably would have been you know, being a little bit more, less hot-headed, a bit more patience, and actually, um, hmm, how do I say that now? Um, I think I'll, I'll, I'll have to leave it at that. I think, yeah, just be less hot-headed, a little bit more patience. The reason why I said that, because when I'm thinking of the 60-year-old myself, I remember vividly, I was always, um, you know, begging for, in myself, not out loud, the opportunity to just uh, get away and see a little bit of the world right. and do different. You know, I, you know, I had my, my name on my mother's passport until I was like 12 or something like that. Um, I didn't really travel anywhere else but like St. Martin, never really got on planes or anything like that. When I started to get on planes is when I started to get on the track and field team. And the reason why I got onto the track and field team is because I found out that they were just sending people to Antigua and all kinds <laughs> of places for free. And all they had to do was is run. And I was we used to run every weekend. We used to run catching goats. And that's how I got fast. Just catching goats and selling selling wild goats, you know. And then when I heard that you know, they, 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 they send you all these places in hotels and swimming pools. And I was like, really? So I went and I tried out. And I, yeah, I got on there. I got onto the gym thing and just started running my heart out and getting to go to Canada and Antigua and this place and that place just for running. So it so was... Once, uh, so once you, once you saw places like Canada, you were sold. You wanted to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the first time I saw snow is when I came to London. 
you know, I was I was doing like what they were doing at home alone. Macaulay Hogan, he was blowing smoke out his mouth with, his, with, with yeah. how cool it was, and I was there doing that. It was funny. It was funny. It was so yeah, because I haven't seen any of those things. So I, yeah, all up to sixteen years old, I've never been really anywhere big on on, on planes, otherwise than stuff in the Caribbean. Until I went to to, to Canada. Mm. Mm, indeed, indeed. Kurt, tell us a bit. Tell us a bit about Omar. So Omar was opened in I think 2016, so we're just about four years now. Um, it was I was on board from the get go. It was a, a, a nutshell. It was just a you know a construction site. There was a, there was a hotel there before, but the actual concept of Omar and the kitchen wasn't was brand new. So I had a friend that introduced me to the executive chef that wanted to open this concept of Omar. He had another one, another Omar in Jersey, um, which had a, a one Michelin star. Wow. And he, you know... Jer- Jersey, the country, uh, the, well... The island. The island, sorry, Channel, not the state. Ch- yeah. Hmm. Channel Islands, Jersey. Yeah. The first, the first Omar was there, which he had, and he was starting to expand his... his um, his 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 um, footprint in London on the mainland, and he was gonna do that with another restaurant he had, and and the sister restaurant as Oma. So I went in, I did my interviews, and I had about six or seven different interviews along with cookoffs um, to try to secure the the, the, the job. Um, you know, they asked me for a three course meal, I gave them six, mm-hmm. and, and and then they would like. Okay, you you're narrowing up, um, and they said I want to see how you will do in a Michelin star kitchen, running this and that. So they sent me to Jersey uh, for three months, where I had to um, gel with the boys that he had there, the team, and effectively uh, run the kitchen with his head chef that he had there, and run the service and learn the way they do things there. And I was working there for about three months. Um, every week, every Friday, I would. Pres- present sorry present dishes um but i had no communication of really understanding whether i'm how high or how low on the casting list to be accepted for this job i didn't know what the salary packet was nothing so i was just in jersey for three months working and i didn't know when i'm gonna get paid what i'm gonna get paid what i'm walking towards so just because i knew that it was going to be a fine dining restaurant the sister restaurant has a star and we were looking to to basically achieve the same thing um so once it you know i got confirmation that you are successful and i got the job moved back onto the mainland in london we go through the processes of setting everything up um and that was really Another, uh, it wasn't something that I was afraid of because I've done um, openings, but never in the head chef role before. But I've done a few openings in other restaurants in Singapore. I've did an opening for the Jason Nathan. I've did opening with Joel Robichon as well, and so I kind of had an idea. But you know, you, as you say, you don't ever learn everything unless you're completely submerged in it. Yeah. And some of the things that I didn't know, which I was holding myself back, saying that I wanted to learn them, which was a bit more about paperwork um, and so forth on the computers. 
I was always the, the chef that was more active. There's two types of chefs, the ones that just could be on the computers and deal with all the Excel sheets, and, and, and then there's the actual chefs that's in the kitchen creating and, 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 and pushing out the food. So I always was that one, um, being on the ground, really being active like a soldier. And I was holding myself back in one job for like five years, thinking that um, I would learn this computer side of things at some point. But it never really came. And I was like, well, no, why is it holding back? I went, I did it, interviews, and I said, like, this is, I think, is my weak part, my, my weak, weak spot. But this is not an area that you need to worry about when it comes to cooking or creating. So, you know, at the end of the day, you, you went in it, you went with the flow, and you learned some of the things once you were actually in the, um, in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And there's still things that I don't know, but... Fair enough. We've we've made it four years around. You've had wonderful reviews, um, great accomplishments, um, acknowledgements to the style of food, to the service and the experience that we offer. Um, so I think you know I'm still here, just ready to learn a lot more things as as I go along. And once we opened in 2016, fastly after that in 2017, there was like a program which was Master Chefs which was going to be filmed in our kitchen. The contestants was going to be filming in our kitchen. And we had to do some dishes for the contestants to do. And I created um, an apple crumble, which was something that's iconic to to British uh, cuisine as an apple crumble. But I did it in, in a modern way. And it, it, it did well on top of the program, um, the way it looked, the way it tasted. It had all the flavors of an apple crumble, but it doesn't look anything like an apple crumble. And it become a little bit signature, iconic, because as soon as that Master Chef program aired and everyone saw the dishes and the apple crumble, our telephone lines and reservations just crashed. We had like, in three hours, like 800 bookings. The, the, everything was oh my like... goodness. Yeah, it was, it was going crazy. So um, that was a good experience. Um, and, and, and more, more so in the beginning, in the first two years, I was working like again, like a madman. You know, sometimes I'll go in for for breakfast at five thirty, and I'll finish at eleven thirty at night. You know, all day, unbelievable. Never, never taking really a break because you know I don't smoke and I don't need to go outside to smoke or anything like that. I I stay in the kitchen always doing something else and and, and just getting by. Um, so that was that was intense. That was crazy, um, but we were building something, and I learned a lot of things as well during that period as well about myself because trying to do everything and perfect everything and doing it by yourself, a, a lot of the time you were losing a lot of staff as well. Um, the turnover because they wasn't ready to apply themselves to the same level that we were. So I had to change. Uh, my management side a little bit and have everybody a bit more involved and that's why I started to do all the tastings and drafts and everything together because I don't think like we should wait um, uh, for someone to have to teach you something yes you should try to take the initiative to learn more but some of the things that I knew I know that I was missing I offered up to them from the get go at the basics for free like for instance like we do always do like once a month a skills test on prepping fish and meat and I know if you're coming, you probably don't know how to prep fish, so you're gonna, you know, nine out of ten times you're gonna mess it up anyways. 
But if you don't mess up, you don't get an opportunity to, to, to grow and get better. So I, I take that, I absorb that cost on, onto myself in the hopes that you will get better. And on the third time, you won't mess it up as, as the same as the first time. Right. Instead of waiting that for you to get to a certain level to say, oh, now you can learn how to fillet fish. I, you know, if you're interested, I teach you from the get-go, from apprentice. Excellent, excellent. What's what's next for Curse? Next for Curse, I think um, I'm still on my path. Um, I, I have a lot that I still want to do. Um, one of my next big aspirations was always to try to secure a Michelin star for myself. That's still, um, you know, yet to, to be achieved. But I'm not going to kill myself and say, I'm only focusing on the mission star. I think I focus on the people, the people around me, because I think it's through them is where the mission star is obtained. Because the mission star is not just only with my ideas and the creations. Because I don't cook every single thing for everybody, and every every customer. You know, it's the people, it's my chefs. So I try to give them and have them thought in a with a mission mentality, then hopefully we'll be able to achieve it, whether it's on a day that I'm off or I'm on, that we have the same consistency. So I think that's something that I would like to get get to. Right now, I don't know what my very immediate next plans is because this COVID-19 has, has actually like put everybody in... On pause. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm literally... Well, if you talk about what I'm really, really doing next, like from tomorrow... I'm back in the kitchen because on Wednesday I'm starting a, a Oma at home experience. So I'll be doing a, a little bit of a high-end um, takeaway menu for a uh, three-mile radius um, to be delivered for your experience and to be enjoyed at home. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be doing next. After that, um, I don't know. I think a lot of things is, as you said, on pause because the program, it came out and yes, it had... A lot of viewings, everybody's home, everybody looking for an entertaining show to watch, so a lot of people tuned in, but you don't really get anything back from it right now because nobody's allowed to go out to to enjoy anything. Um, so I'm pretty you know, sure they'll it, remember you. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, eventually, I'll, you know, I want to have uh, my name above a door in terms of my own restaurant and so forth, but... Where it went, again, that's not something else I need to learn because throughout all the times and all the people that I've worked for, I do understand that it's important um, not just to jump into things and actually have people who's invested in the same vision as you are in uh, in terms of the business partners that you're going to have or the investors. So that's something I'll probably have to get my head wrong uh, at some point in time mm-hmm. because you don't want to end up just of passionate people. You know, you can't work in be disgruntled and then you're not going to be able to to create and, and and if you're not able to create then you can't really give a better self to a better business you have to be in a, a good mind mindset. so the ultimate goal is to have that that um that name above the door at some point yeah yeah got it got it now kurt this is a segment that I like to call the planet is yours. I strap on my suit, my space suit, and I jump out into the atmosphere and I leave you on the planet alone. You're on planet 30 alone. Whatever you want to say to the people, the floor is open. No. <laughs> all right, then. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to say uh, thank you for having me, Crispin. 
Uh, it's always interesting to be able to, for me to, you know, share my story. I know some parts may be a little bit unclear. It's, it's, it's a long story. It's over 16 years of work. Um, and that's like with, with everything in life, it's, there's always going to be a hidden stone. There's always going to be a corner. But, uh, you know, you yourself, uh, me, myself, I'm happy to have been on the platforms where I'm able to share uh, some of my knowledge, uh, some of my experience, whether it's through different podcasts or through tutorials or just people who comes and visit me in the kitchen. I've had even some local chefs uh, from the island that spend some time in my kitchen. I had like Aaron Gums, who's the apprentice in my kitchen um, from the island. I've also had Kelson Connor, who spent some time in my kitchen. And they got a, you know, um, a first seat or first a front row seat to seeing what I do um, and I would hope that more people uh, from the islands to not be um, persuaded not to take advantage of their lives and seek out and not just stay comfortable in your comfort zone and stay, and stay into the, the islands I must say you're not going to go back. I'm saying sometimes you have to leave to be able to to get yourself um, more credited and then to bring some diversity back home to the, to the land. And I think a lot of times we need to, to shake the fear um, or the insecurities because we are, we, we are only so used to our small regimes. Go out try something in a different country, whether it's in America or the UK or wherever, as far as possible, and I guarantee you, in one year's time, you'll come back with a lot more to be able to offer to not yourself, but your family, your friends, and hopefully to the country. So that's all I really wanted to say. Awesome, awesome. Hey, just out of curiosity, what is your favorite uh, Anguillian dish? (laughs) Mm-hmm. That thing that uh, that thing that you reach for as soon as you get home. Well, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Every time I'm leaving to come back from Angola, I always have um, cooking a top from Hall's Bakery. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I always, I always um, try to buy them on the morning before I go to catch the ferry back, because um, uh, like about you know six or ten or something like that, to travel with them back. Get them into my freezer, and I can have them every now and I go, every now and then. <laughs> how do people? How- oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I said I would say when I was back um, last year, though, which again something new that I'd never been before. I was invited down to to cook for this extraordinary eats event around Festival Del Mar. That was very good as well I got to try a lot more of the local dishes it reminded me when I was a youngster when they used to do the jollification so I got to um, try a lot of different things at Festival Del Mar um, which was more of the local um, delicacies so that was nice as well the lobster and the crayfish and the snapper and the yeah, yeah. And, the, and the conch. And the, the conch. conch lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, they're very creative. How do we, how do we contact you? Uh, you know, social media, website? What's... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always on social media, Instagram. You you can find me there at Kurt Gums. The same thing. Um, 
I'm on I'm on Twitter, but I would say I'm more active on on my Instagram for professional uh, purposes. You'll see much more of uh, inspiring uh, culinary uploads daily or every second day. And my my Facebook is the same. But definitely, I would say to follow me on on, on Instagram if you are interested in in, in keeping up with what I'm doing. Um, and that's just at Kurt Gums, K E R T H G U M B S. Awesome. Master Chef, I'm putting it out into the universe, future Michelin star owner and future <laughs> restaurant owner, the incomparable Curse Gums. Thank you for joining us on Planet 30. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Anytime, anytime, Christian. All right. Thanks a lot. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com.